So we are in a series of messages going through a portion of the book of Acts. And what what triggered this particular series was I was, I was just reading through this section of Scripture one time a few months ago, and I came across a little line in chapter 11 of the book of Acts that just said, and this is where they were first called Christians. And I thought, huh, I wonder what set them apart. Why was that name applied to them? How were they different from the people around them? And then, of course, the the follow-up question to that is, what are we called to be as Christians? How are we called to be different from the people around us? What are the marks that set us apart, that make us who we are in Christ? What is he calling out of us? And so today we come to, uh, well, how shall we describe? This is the second most important person uh, in the history of Christianity. Obviously, Jesus would come first. Nobody eclipses that. Um, however, this particular individual that we're about to read about, who, who uh, enters the picture uh, under the name Saul, will eventually become the Apostle Paul. He will write the majority of the New Testament, and he will plant or start the majority of the new churches that begin during his lifetime. So Saul, as we pick up the story, has a job. He is a very devout Jewish leader. He's actually a Pharisee, which uh, has several implications. There, there, we won't go into all that, but he's, he's a pretty important man. And his job at this point is to root out these crazy Jewish people who believe that the Messiah has just come and lived and died on the cross and risen from the dead. This obviously cannot be true, according to Saul. Uh, God would never let his Messiah die in an accursed way. It just doesn't make sense. And these Christians are saying that this Messiah was actually God, which is blasphemy in the Jewish mind, at least in Saul's mind. And so these people must be found out and sniffed out, snuffed out, snuffed out. Let's snuff them out. We don't want to sniff them out. They live in the first century. You don't want to sniff that. That's no good. They didn't have deodorant back then. That's, yeah. People forget that, you know. Um, anyway, just, yeah, think, of, think about how blessed you are to come to church and everybody else is wearing deodorant. I mean, Terry might not be, but everybody else is. So, uh, yeah, but in the first century, yeah, I digress. So, okay. Um, so, Saul is looking for this group of people, and at this point, the followers of Christ are called followers of the way. That's their, that's the way they are referred to. They refer to themselves, and others refer to them as followers of the way. They're basing that off of uh, Jesus' words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the earliest Christians were, before they were called Christians, were called followers of the way. So you will encounter that in this story, and you will encounter uh, 
Saul, and you'll see a, a pretty dramatic transformation, and we'll read the whole story from Acts chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 31, and then we'll talk about its implications for us. So beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord had said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias come in, and lay hands on lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight but ananias answered lord i have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at jerusalem and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name but the lord said to him go For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for he did not, they did not believe that he was a disciple. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Christ. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. So, what this is really all about is transformation. The transformation that God brings about through the grace and forgiveness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what sets us apart. That we are those who undeservingly have been transformed, changed, converted, if you will, from the evil that was within to a new reality, to a new internal truth that we are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which is really hard to believe, but so true and powerful and necessary for us to believe. We are the fellowship of the transformed those who've been taken from death to life, from darkness to light. And one of the things that I love about the church is it really doesn't matter, at least when we're doing this right, it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't. It makes absolutely no difference. We have one thing in common. It's the transformation of our souls by the power of Jesus Christ. That's the basis for our unity. It's the basis for our worship. It's the basis for our growth. It's the basis for our connection to each other and to God. And so we see in this account a radical transformation from a, a man who was literally trying to kill Christianity to the man whom God uses to bring Christianity out of this little postage stamp of a country that it was started in and into all of the known world. This transformation is not just of one Soul, it's a transformation that is contagious. And so I want to try and engage this account through that lens of transformation. And, and the first thing we see or notice or, or take to heart is the call 
to begin the transformation. There's, there's a call to each one of us to, to start and continue in this vein of transformation. This change that takes place when Christ breaks into our world. <clears throat> to put it succinctly, we are called to come to the end of ourselves. I was, uh, I don't even know where I was the other day, but uh, there was, you know, room full of people, people talking, and uh, this one woman said very uh, loudly, um, you know, no, I was not part of this conversation. It was just like one conversation away. And she says, you know, I can justify just about anything. Meaning, in her world, or in my world, uh, we, can, we can excuse ourselves into making just about anything seem like it's okay for us. Wouldn't be okay for you, but it's okay for me, right? We are called to get over ourselves. There is no one in the history of humankind who has more quickly been forced to get over himself than Saul. Uh, he is literally blown to the ground. There is a burst of light. Uh, it appears that that light doesn't flash and disappear, but it continues. It's an abiding light. And out of that light, a voice speaks to him. <laughs> well, he is immediately brought to the end of himself. He is blinded and essentially in a state of paralysis. And the, the people traveling with him have to literally escort him to their destination. Um, he spends three days. He can't eat or drink. He's so distraught. He's, he's really, he's quite done. Or undone might be a better word. He's been forcibly brought to the end of himself. God was not so merciful to me. I've, I've had a long series of, of corrections over the course of my spiritual life. Right? I don't seem to get it on the first go-round. I've, I've taken several laps around this track of myself and getting to the end of it. And every time I get to the end of it, it seems I'm going back around again just shortly thereafter. Um, Saul has been, he doesn't realize it, he's been given a gift. A very abrupt, harsh, but abrupt end to himself. He's brought to his knees, quite literally. We are called to come to the end of ourselves and to find a new beginning in Christ. Saul, when this happens, 
initially has no idea where this is going. He just knows that his life is ruined, in a sense. And that this person, whom he did not believe was valid or legitimate or real, has appeared to him and spoken to him and essentially brought him to his knees. And so he spends three days in, you know, sort of a, you can, you can, there's a good analogy there with the crucifixion and burial of Christ. And Saul spends that similar amount of time wondering what is going on. What has happened to me? What is, why? Why am I here? And of course, then Ananias rolls in with some really good news. Uh, God's called me to come and pray for you so you can see again and that you would receive Christ and the Holy Spirit. And that might not have been such great news for Saul, but at this point, what else does he have? So this new beginning, and, and this is, uh, we're, we're looking at the marks of Christianity. So one of the aspects or one of the, the focal points of this new beginning is baptism. Uh, Saul is told by Ananias, you, you believe and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and you're marked with the sign of baptism. Let's, let's get this stuff done so that it's clear to you that you're part of the family. And it's clear to you know, anyone else who witnesses this, you're part of the family. And so the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit. So, our new beginning in Christ is marked with a sign, and it's a call to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that Saul could not possibly have understood, at least personally. Uh, The Old Testament does talk about uh, King David being filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, but it doesn't seem to indicate that everyone who was part of God's family, was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is sort of a new idea to Saul, at least. And so he has this crushing experience. He's brought to this place. A man shows up. They pray. Faith awakens. He's baptized, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And As far as we know, nothing weird happened. He didn't jump up and start speaking in foreign languages or grab snakes or drink any Kool-Aid or anything like that. Um, He he just was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, The transformation has begun. And we're, we're called in a similar sense to take not just that first step, but to begin walking down that path of transformation. It's a, it's a first step that's followed by many more. And from the beginning of the transformation, we are then called to engage the transformation, to take an active role in what God is doing in our hearts and souls and minds and lives. We see in this passage Ananias, who I love this guy, right? And he gets credit for the being part of the most significant conversion in Christian history. 
A close second would be St. Patrick, who everybody says was of Ireland. He was actually born in England. We'll talk about that some other time. Um, But this conversion is the single most significant starting point for this new emerging faith after, of course, the death and resurrection of Christ. Um, Ananias did what he was asked to do, but I love the fact that he had a little, like, um, can I can I ask you a question? Um, sir? Sir? I don't think this is a good idea. I'm going to get my rear end handed to me, and I don't think that, uh, okay, I'll go. He walks into the face of death, really. He's seen what other Christians have been subjected to at this man's behest, and he knows what he's risking. But God says, go. And God does give him a little more assurance. He's like, I've, I've got this. I've changed the guy. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Sure you have. Um, but through this stepping into his call, his following of God's call, he gets to participate in this incredibly pivotal historic moment. And, and really, if you, if you think about it, we all are given this privilege in Christ. We get to, to step into, uh, if you can excuse the, the metaphor, the historic moments in the lives of others. Whether it's their first spiritual awakening or a crisis in their lives where what they really just need is someone to be present. And we all have this call, like Ananias had, to, to go and be present in the, in the midst of pivotal moments in people's lives. It's a part of being a Christian that we follow God's call. And verse 16 reminds us that this call will involve suffering. I can't sell a book called Accept Christ and Suffer. Right? That's not a title that sells. Fortunately, the gospel is not for sale. Uh, it, it happens anyway. The transformation happens at God's bidding. And we are changed and transformed and brought into this family together to, to figure this out alongside one another. And as we do that, we're reminded this won't all be easy. It won't all be fun. There will be uh, fun. There'll be good fellowship. There'll be enjoyment. Um, you know, we, we, we had some of that Sunday night, did we not? That was awesome. Thank you, by the way, Oscar and Sherry. So, um, But not all of this Christian life will be easy. There will be suffering. But we can suffer together. We can be present in each other's pain. And part of that is that that's a two-sided deal. 
So when I'm suffering, I don't know about you, I, I don't reach out very well. Right? I stuff and go. You've, you've heard of this, I'm sure, in other people. Yeah. But if I can reach out and, and involve someone else, include someone else, it's a blessing to them and it's a blessing to me. And we are called to engage this transformation in these ways, to be there for each other when it's not easy. So we're to follow God's call and we're to connect with God's people. Very interesting pair of references in this passage that Saul comes to Christ. He and Ananias have this meeting. He, he prays to receive Christ. He's baptized. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what does he want to do? He wants to go to church. And the church is like, um, <laughs> not him, not him. Can we, can we, can we like have a lottery? I don't, can we, is there any other choices other than him? And yet you see this, this draw on Saul's heart to be with God's people first in Damascus and then in Jerusalem. He wants to be connected. He wants to be part of the family. And this connection, as we see in the passage, will bring support and growth. And this, again, is two-sided. The connection brings support and growth to Saul, and it brings support and growth to the church. What greater support could this young, struggling uh, group of followers of Christ have had than the one person who was trying to kill them, who was absolutely convinced that they were heretics, is now part of the family. It's a testament, really, to the power of God. This was not a conversion that Saul chose. It was not a good idea that he thought he would take advantage of. It was not uh, something he was experimenting with or searching for. It just literally exploded into his life. And there he was, a Christian. Well, not yet. He was a follower of the way. He'll get there. Um, and this sense of connection with each other is such an important part of engaging our transformation, that we do this together. And there's so many uh, blessings inherent in that process that if I have suffered and now you're going through something similar, I have an, a capacity to empathize with that in, in ways that others might not. And so we, we need each other to go through this well. Um, there's the beginning of the transformation, there's the engagement of the transformation, and there's the call to spread the transformation, to see the work of God grow and expand, both in terms of depth and breadth, that we are called to be a part of extending this gospel in the world.
we are called to proclaim his grace just as Saul is um, newly converted and he's on fire. And quite honestly, uh, the best evangelists are recent converts. Typically speaking, the longer we spend here with each other, the worse we get at relating to people outside of these doors. Um, you know, uh, one thing I was I was blessed by Oscar and Sherry at the at the Oktoberfest uh, on Sunday was some of the people that were there because of you. And I, I was I went upstairs to eat, and there's a table. There's two younger women sitting there, and uh, there was two full tables on either side, so I just plopped myself down, and and I'm sure they're like, why is this old man at our table? What's going on? And, you know, and just we start talking. How are y'all? How'd you get here? And they are just, you know, they're like, well, we're, we know Oscar and Sherry. They invited us, and we thought it would be fun, and so we came. This is great, and they're having a good time. And um, About ten minutes into the conversation, one of them says, well, so, how did you get here? <clears throat> I said, okay, I will tell you, but you have to promise me, you have to promise me you won't stand up and walk away as soon as I tell you what I do. And they're like, huh? I said, I'm the pastor of the church that, that this is the benefit for. They're like, oh. And then the conversation turns to uh, this, this I'll just summarize it but it was essentially how refreshing it was for each of them to be in a place where the faith component was open and okay and there was also freedom and they both were commenting on that and then that was you did that not me but um My point is, we are all, all the time, we are relating grace to the people around us. That's what we are here to do. And honestly, the more recently you've come in, the better you are at connecting with people who, who don't yet know uh, this transformation we find through Christ. So, we proclaim His grace and this passage reminds us this proclamation of Christ will bring resistance. Uh, Saul, who was trying to kill the Christians, is now the one that they're trying to kill. The irony is just uh, profound. Of course, it's hard to catch the guy who was just trying to catch them. He knows all the tricks. He knows what they're looking for. And so he's not bad at evading capture. He's pretty good at it. But the point is, you and I will face resistance. It's part of the process. We share grace, and people will spit in our face on occasions, metaphorically, hopefully. Um, but I want to I read verse 31 to you. That as we spread this transformation, we are both proclaiming God's grace through Christ and we are also building up 
his church. I want you to hear these words, the impact of this transformation on the church. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Christianity is first and foremost contagious. It it has to be caught. When we engage each other well as Christians in ways that are healthy and strengthening and positive, the church is strengthened and the church grows. People's lives are impacted. And God is using you to do that. In every venue of your life, you are called to be that person who sheds grace like a virus on people around you. It is impossible to overstate the historic significance of this conversion. But we we must remember this is a story about God. It's not a story about what a what a great evangelist Saul was. It's a story about the power of God to transform anyone. And you are not disqualified from the grace of God by anything you've done. If Saul is in, I'm pretty sure you're okay. Actually, I'm I'm more than pretty sure. You're forgiven, you're loved, and you're called to spread that grace all around. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we are not deserving of the transformation that has taken place in our hearts and souls and lives. And yet, it's not about us. It's about your will and your power to change a darkened human heart into a place of light and love and grace and forgiveness. And so, Lord, we step into that transformation. And we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might fully engage that transformation. And Lord, that you would call us to live in such a way that we spread that transformation around in the relationships that we have, that your son would be known through us, that your grace would be experienced through us, that your forgiveness would be felt through the way we relate to those around us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and lead us through this transformation. In Jesus' name, amen.